Hi, and welcome to the GBI Conversations podcast. My name is Katie Shevin, and I am the host of this first series. The Global Business Initiative on Human Rights is a business-led cross-industry organisation that works to advance business respect for human rights around the world through practical peer learning and by sharing insights from business practice. GBI's team and network of advisors bring deep experience and immersion in business and human rights developments, unique insights into emerging business practices and approaches, and a commitment to working towards meaningful outcomes for affected people. I'm an advisor to GBI focusing on legal developments and responsible transitions. In this podcast series, I'm talking to a number of GBI's advisors and team members about mandatory human rights due diligence requirements. In this series, we'll be exploring questions that aim to support business practitioners to think critically about their company's approach to human rights and to position their company to navigate these new measures in ways that also meet the expectations of their stakeholders. For example, how can you know if your company's human rights due diligence is really good enough? What do you need to know about downstream due diligence? And how are mandatory due diligence laws affecting expectations of companies when it comes to remedying human rights impacts? Today, I'm speaking to Ron Popper, CEO of the Global Business Initiative on Human Rights. Hi, Ron. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Nowadays, Ron, you wear many professional hats. In addition to leading GBI, you sit on advisory boards for a number of key organisations in the business and human rights space. You teach and you also provide targeted support to various business and other organisations. However, you also have significant experience inside the world of business, and you know firsthand the challenges that confront business practitioners who are working to strengthen their company's human rights programs. Today, we're going to talk a lot about human rights due diligence and really get into how a company can know if its human rights due diligence is good enough. So I'd like to start by asking you to say a few more words about your professional background and what it's taught you about the basic building blocks that need to be in place to enable a company to implement effective human rights due diligence. Thank you, Katie. Well, as you probably know, I've done due diligence in different settings around the world and with different businesses. So I'm not an expert on the issue, but I have had my boots on the ground and I think I know what needs to be in place and what works and what doesn't. In terms of the building blocks that you ask about, first of all, you need to ensure that the management of a company fully understands what human rights due diligence is. It shouldn't be particularly new for them because most key parts of a company already do different forms of due diligence, whether it's with business partners, legal, financial, mergers and acquisitions. Due diligence is not an alien concept at all. As for the key building blocks, one is that management really needs to buy in to what is needed for serious and robust due diligence. And that includes stakeholder engagement and the consequences of uncovering issues. Managers need to understand due diligence is both preventive and palliative. An initial step is, of course, to ensure the training of practitioners, whatever function or business unit they may be in, for example, procurement or sales for downstream due diligence. 
And a second essential is to empower those that are actually carrying out the due diligence. And when I say empowerment, I mean not only giving practitioners the training and the tools and hopefully also the budget that they need to carry out their work effectively, but also ensuring that the line management that they have will, where appropriate, take action to mitigate or remediate any harms uncovered. Allow me just to talk a little bit more about some of the building blocks and the questions underpinning those that I regard as essential. Has an appropriate gap analysis of risks been undertaken? Are all the risk areas known? I often find that companies that have been carrying out due diligence for years still have blank spots, still not doing due diligence on issues such as transport, logistics, real estate and land acquisition, which, as you well know, all carry significant human rights risks. Another building block, what other processes are in place? Uh, Is due diligence already being done? Is it being carried out in other parts of the business? For example, a health and safety audit carried out by HSE professionals or a business unit. There really is no need to reinvent wheels at times. It's not helpful. Third, I would say, as a building block, is there a clear reporting line for issues uncovered and remedial actions? And finally, is there a budget? We know that human rights departments, even in large multinationals, are often very underfunded. So that needs to be in place to ensure that serious and robust due diligence can take place. I think the bottom line is due diligence is often viewed as a cost or a cost out. I view it as an investment in ethical business practice, which can certainly save cost later on, both in terms of negative impacts on people and for the company itself. Thank you, Ron. Some very concrete and practical insights there. I particularly liked three items that you sort of broadly incorporated under the need for management buy-in, that is real buy-in and understanding of of what human rights due diligence is. And I think whilst, as you say, the concept of due diligence is familiar to many, the need to shift the focus from risks to the business to risks to people can be new for many, but also the need for real training and capability building and also for empowerment of those who are implementing these processes. I think these are items that tend not to be picked up when we talk about the key steps of human rights due diligence, but are really critical enablers without which you can't get very much done. Let's pause for a moment and take a step back to talk about why companies even do due diligence. To many of our listeners, it might make intuitive sense that it would be a good idea to find out what your company's human rights impacts are and then to do something about them. But how would you describe why human rights due diligence is important? Well, I think there are two reasons. One, I think there's a clear moral case for doing human rights due diligence. Perhaps it's a very obvious reminder to our listeners, when we're talking about human rights, we're talking about people. Every religion or philosophical tract reminds us of the need to treat people with respect so that they can enjoy their rights and live in dignity, indeed, the way we wish to be treated ourselves. But I think there's also a very, very clear business case for getting human rights right. And I'd like to just dwell on that a little bit. If you treat people or business partners badly, you may suffer financial consequences, lost business or business continuity interrupted. You may suffer a loss of confidence among business partners, an inability to fulfill contracts. 
you may also face a drop in share price and the confidence of the markets. A drop in confidence among investors who are becoming, as you know, ever more aware that poor performance in this area can hit the bottom line in different ways. So there are some very obvious financial risks there, but there are others. Uh, potentially huge legal consequences in failing to manage human risks. Compensation and remediation, which incidentally are not possible uh, without robust due diligence. Actual legal cases, we see an increasing number these days against companies for human rights reasons, even if many are settled out of court. Thirdly, increasing mandatory human rights due diligence laws around the world are starting to bite now and they will increase the need to invest in proper due diligence in order to be in compliance. And the amount of time, and this is something that people don't often calculate, the amount of time in-house counsel and external legal advisors devote to picking up the pieces after a human rights violation or a case being launched can be quantified in dollars and cents as well. And it really isn't cheap either. So there are some financial risks amid the legal risks. Reputational damage can also be a financial hit. There are models these days that can give you a dollars and cents impact of a bad news headline. And we live in a 24-7 online world where bad news for all allegations travel very fast and can be very, very damaging. Personally, I like the image of bad news can be halfway around the world before a communications department has got out of bed. And finally, I think this is an area which is often underestimated. Bad reputation has an impact on staff who are becoming much more aware these days of labor issues, human rights issues. When people leave a company for a human rights reason or for any other reason, it takes funds to recruit, train and develop new personnel. Recruitment and retention is a cost. An investment. I do a lot of university lecturing, as you mentioned at the start, Katie, mainly at master's level. And I hear many younger people saying they want to work for a company whose values they can share or identify with. In other words, get things wrong and you will lose or fail to recruit the brightest and the best. All these issues have a tangible cost. Thank you, Ron. Through our work with GBI members and, and other companies, we get a rare level of visibility and insight into emerging business practices across different industries and in different parts of the world. How would you rate current business practice and ambition when it comes to implementing human rights due diligence? What are you seeing that's encouraging? But also, do you have any concerns about the level of human rights commitment and performance that you're seeing right now? Well, quite frankly, I think it's a mixed bag. I think there are many companies which are now taking human rights due diligence seriously. The increase in international legislation and reporting requirements are often very onerous, but are helping to focus minds among leading companies. We know of some companies in the wake of due diligence legislation, which are throwing huge resources at being compliant. Actually, very recently, I heard of one company that had 80 people eight zero people working, many of them, of course, part time on fulfilling annual legal communication requirements on due diligence, 80 people. It led me to think, I wonder what would happen if those 80 people were deployed instead 
to focus on the due diligence itself rather than the reporting. But that's another idea for another time, perhaps. Leading companies have serious leadership on this issue. The tone from the top is there. It's part of the risk matrix. But I also think there are a large number of companies that have made a policy commitment, but implementation is very patchy at best. This is due to a lack of understanding in leadership, maybe also a lack of resources. Frankly, how many multinational companies do we know when you ask how many people are in your human rights department? You can count the number on one hand very often. It's a bit of a come down. A welcome development is that more and more companies are training people in areas such as business development, in procurement, in sales, about what issues they should be watching out for, what to report back on to the experts who are in-house. But across the board, performance on due diligence is sadly very often patchy. And every time I speak to companies after an international crisis breaks, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the military coup in Myanmar, the conflict in Ethiopia. I'm struck by how many companies have been caught unawares or not been adequately prepared. These crises indicate there is still a long way to go on due diligence and basic risk management. On a more positive note, one issue I'd like to mention is that at GBI, as you well know, we engage with many large companies in different parts of the world. And we're coming across more and more examples of companies in different regions, in Thailand, in Brazil, and in India, for example, also increasingly in Japan, which are making huge efforts to implement the UNGPs, including carrying out detailed on-the-ground due diligence. Having said all of that, there are many parts of the world where the guiding principles, let alone due diligence, are still anathema. And then there are SMEs as well, where the level of interest in and practice of due diligence is still pretty minimal in places. So in conclusion, Katie, 12 years into the guiding principles, I think a lot of companies have moved in the right direction. And as I say, there are some obvious leaders, many, many enlightened practitioners, and that's very welcome. In some cases, however, due diligence is still quite tokenistic, hit and miss, and the lack of resources, meaning management investment in human rights due diligence, is still hampering the efforts underway to move ahead, to do the right thing. So I come across many highly motivated, driven, informed practitioners but also many frustrated ones as well, who know when to take a win, when to compromise, and that the process of moving ahead is often three steps forward, two steps backwards. And that is something that I have experienced myself in my professional life. Thank you, Ron. I think when we talk about the, the state of play uh, of emerging business practice, you've hit the nail on the head when you described it as a mixed bag. You know, far too many companies who aren't doing anywhere near enough with enough seriousness. A number of companies where emerging practice is encouraging, but there's a real need for greater resources. And I think also, as you say, really encouraging signs of engagement and commitment in, in different parts of the world. When we talk about good enough, I mean, for you, what would good enough look like? And if you were still working in a business, how would you make the case for raising ambition levels? 
Good question. Put simply, I would say good enough would mean that policies and processes were sufficiently embedded and mature in the business and company culture to ensure that there were no harms to people. But being realistic, good enough implies a few basics. It means feeling confident that you have mapped your risks, coupled with a high level of training for practitioners and decision makers, including executive management and board members. Good enough would also ensure consistency and due diligence in all parts of the business, its operations, its value chain, including upstream and downstream. I think good enough also implies a level of due diligence maturity where you can anticipate potential risks prior to a contractual agreement and find the right contractual language. And good enough is also based on a management that is truly committed to proactively managing human rights inside and outside the company. And I'd like to stress that many harms, physical and psychological, occur inside a company's four walls as well. And effective management would also include serious commitments to remediation if harms occur. Perhaps a final couple of points. On the issue of management, good enough requires a senior management that is prepared to listen to its own human rights specialists. Sadly, not always the case, and one that takes appropriate action when it uncovers a potential or actual harm. And finally, good enough also means a staff empowered to walk away from certain business if due diligence reveals that potential or actual risk to people. So as far as the second part of your question is concerned, making the case internally, the increasing body of hard law, standards, reporting requirements help to make the case for sure. Uh, increasing stakeholder monitoring, communities, investors, media, customers could also be used to build the case. And building alliances within a company and the business case for effective due diligence is also very much a practitioner's daily work, our bread and butter. Speaking as a former practitioner, I also try to find examples of good and less good practice from inside the business to help build the case in briefings and training. And what's that mean? How early due diligence avoided harms to people and the business. And the reverse, how failure to carry out human rights due diligence had a negative consequence for people and the business. Never waste a crisis is also a useful maxim, except that people may already have been harmed before you get to that realisation. Thank you, Ron. So a lot in there and some really helpful, I think, points for any practitioner listening to this to go through and reflect on as they think about you know, where their company's human rights due diligence is at just now. Now, as you and certainly our listeners will know, there is significant momentum at the moment behind the introduction of mandatory measures, that is legislation, to drive uptake of human rights due diligence by companies. Front of mind for many right now, I think, will be the German supply chain law, which came into force earlier this year, and also the corporate sustainability due diligence directive, which is currently being developed by the European Union. But there are many other legislative initiatives, including modern slavery laws, reporting requirements, targeted due diligence requirements, and, and so forth. I guess my question to you is, are mandatory measures like these helping or getting in the way when it comes to getting businesses to implement 
effective human rights due diligence? And what should business practitioners be mindful of as they work towards achieving compliance with these laws? Yeah, good question. I think the jury is out for the time being. At one level, yes, hard law is certainly forcing companies to think long and hard about their human rights risks and how they can be compliant and the steps they need to take to be confident that their reporting is accurate. It is giving many companies a welcome nudge to strengthen their due diligence processes and check to see whether what they have in place really is fit for purpose. And I think it's also giving a fillip to practitioners. It's also focusing minds at senior management level, or it certainly should be. I think much will depend on the final wording of the EU draft directive. For those companies already taking a broader value chain approach to their risks, there is a danger that narrow wording in current or future laws will encourage a purely compliance-based approach driven by legal departments. And I think that wouldn't be very helpful for the practitioners or indeed for those people who are facing potential or actual harms. A few words for practitioners, perhaps. Let's wait and see. But practitioners should push for robust processes within companies and push for companies that are lagging behind that it is in the interests of people, their stakeholders, and their business to get it right. Thank you, Ron. I, I like how you put that, Jess, then. It's a very clear, I think, takeaway and, and message that many of our listeners can hopefully make use of in their own work. I think the one thought I would add to that is the rapidly changing legal landscape. It really, for me, brings front of mind this tension between the extent to which you focus on due diligence that is systematised with numbers and traffic light signals and all of the hallmarks, I guess, of a well-implemented comprehensive system in place and the need because of the very human nature of human rights impacts to also be able to be flexible and targeted and bespoke in how particularly severe and salient issues and risks are dealt with. And I think, as you say, it remains to be seen whether these laws will be able to encompass both of those things or drive business in one direction or the other. Yes, it really would be a shame if we reverted to a box ticking system, which took very little account of the nuances of human rights and the real impacts those nuances can have on people. Ron, thank you very much for your time today. This has been a great conversation to kick off this series with. Before we wrap up, did you have any final thoughts or clarifications that you wanted to share with our listeners? Just one thought, perhaps. Uh, I've been in this business for 20 years now, and I would like to say that one of the achievements that we've made over those 20 years, pre and post UN guiding principles, has been that we've developed some very clear, understandable language about human rights. I think one of our achievements is that we've managed to take the fear factor out of human rights in many, many companies. In the olden days, they really didn't understand labor rights, human rights. And I think that clarity of language and understanding at all levels of a business now is the right direction of travel. And I would hate to see any further obfuscation of the clarity that we have developed in the near future as we move ahead. We're in a good place right now. People are no longer, by and large, scared about the concept of human rights in companies. 
long may that so continue. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Ron, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review it on Apple Podcast and share it with colleagues or peers you think would also get value from it. For more information about GBI, head to our website at gbihr.org. And for more practical insights into how companies are approaching human rights risks and issues, check out the Business Practice Portal, a unique online resource created by business for business which can be accessed from our website.